All right, if you'll make your way back to your seats and grab your Bible and open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ash, didn't we just get done with Luke? Like I thought we were free of Luke and that we would probably not hear from Luke for 10 or 20 years. No, we're back. So you can't get away from Luke. He's just got too much good stuff in him. Um, so Luke chapter 1, verses... 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for um, all the many blessings that you pour out in our lives each day. God, we thank you for um, the blessings of your word. We thank you for the blessings of your church. And we thank you for the blessings of, of the heritage and the knowledge um, of the story of the coming of your son into the world. God, we thank you that we live in a culture um, that despite the fact that it has, that it has distorted and abused the, the annual season and celebration of Christ, Christmas, that it has, um, uh, emphasized wrong things and shifted the focus away from your son. And yet, uh, the truth of who he is and, and the reason for the season, the fact that we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, God still rings true. Um, it is still spoken of and, and preached and shared, um, in the midst of all the goofy stuff that we have added to it. And so God, that is something to be thankful for, um, that we live in a culture that it, that, that to its bones, to its core, to its cells, um, is founded upon the truths, um, of your word and of who Jesus is. And so God, we don't, we don't take that for granted. We thank you for the way that you continue to work in our, in our world, in our nation, in our community. 
God, and we ask that you would continue to do so, that your spirit would move and that you would use the Christmas um, season and the services and the, the, um, God, the fact that people are coming to church who might not normally be that, that family who are not in church or visiting family that does that, that people, even out of some sort of sense of, of, nostalgia or something may find themselves in church services and hear the gospel and that God, that you would change their hearts um, by the movement of your spirit and the preaching of your word. And so God, we, we ask these things. We thank you that we know that you work in these ways um, and that, that you are about the business of drawing people to yourself. We ask that you would continue to do that in our community. And we want to be a part of a time of revival, of people returning to you, of people coming to you for the first time who have never known you before. We ask all of these things because, God, we know that they are in keeping with your desire for the world. We know that we are asking something in accordance with um, your heart and your desire um, and your mission and your kingdom. And so we ask that, you, God, you would use us um to help be a part of that and that you would use us in whatever way to, to scatter the, the seed, um, to, to water and, and feed the plants. God, we trust that you will give the growth and bring in the harvest as we are faithful to go and tell. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So we are going to work our way again through the Advent weeks, that's the kind of the series that we are going through each week of, of the message each week is going to be connected to each week of the Advent calendar. So we talked about last week and I'll kind of remind you each week, the first candle symbolizes the, is hope and the prophet, it's called the prophet's candle and sort of looks back to the prophetic, um, uh, message of the coming of, of Christ. The second candle is the candle of faith or the Bethlehem candle. Uh, which we are talking about this week and zooming in on the story of Mary's faith, particularly. The third candle symbolizes joy. It's called the shepherd's candle. And it remembers that, that moment there where the angels appear to, um, the shepherds and, and, uh, they go to Bethlehem, uh, in great joy to see the Christ child. The fourth candle is called the, the candle of peace or the angel's candle. And again, um, remembers this this announcement of the coming of the Messiah. And then that last candle that sits in the center that is uh, finally lit is the, the candle of light or purity. And it's called the Christ candle. It represents the light of Christ coming into the world. So we are going to zoom in on that idea of this week's candle, which is the candle of faith and talk about the faith of Mary. So begin there in that passage, sort of introducing where we're at the story in the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to the, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So probably many of you are familiar with the popular Christmas song, Mary, did you know, right? You hear it sung a lot of times at, at Christmas time. And the concept of the song um, is basically asking the question, like how much did Mary know about who Jesus was and this child that she was carrying. Like, was she aware? Did she understand the idea of the incarnation that this was, um, that, that she was bearing the son of God and God himself, um, in, in, uh, human flesh? Did she understand the nature of Jesus mission? Um, and even J Jesus nature himself, did she have an understanding or an inkling of, of the fact of, of what that mission entailed, which was the cross, 
Um, we, we seem to get impressions that maybe she did with sort of these sort of enigmatic lines, like in Luke chapter two, verse 19, that says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart, right? She saw these things happening and yet, and there was some sort of working them over in her head and heart as to what they mean, they meant. But I'm going to suggest to you that from this passage we just read, I believe Mary did know. Um, Mary, did you know? Mary did know. Or maybe a better way to say it is that Mary did believe. Or an even better way of saying it is that Mary trusted God in these things. And so the passage is summed up there at the end in verse 38. Her trust in God is demonstrated in her words where she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is, man, that's almost a definition of faith. Um, if, if you wanted to, what does faith look like? How would you describe faith? And that's a pretty good passage to do that. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary believes God. And the things that she believes, what I'm going to suggest to you are the exact same things that we are called to believe in light of this passage. And here's a cool thing. Each one of them is a miracle. Okay, Each one of the things that we are called to believe in this passage is a miracle. They are things that have no precedent. They are things that in, in many ways we cannot explain. But each one of them is meant to be believed on the basis of the fact that God promised it and God declared it. And so we, Mary believed and we are to believe too. Okay, so let's look at these three miracles as we go through the passage. The first miracle, and and this is an incredible miracle. Um, if you weren't here for our, our study tonight, um, as we finished up our Christianity and liberalism study tonight, man, it was it was it was part of what the whole topic was, and it is this it is the miracle of grace. That's the first miracle that we see in this passage. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Grace is a miracle. I don't know if you think about grace in that way, but grace is a miracle. God's mercy to us is a miracle. Because we are sinners, every man and woman, every boy and girl, each of us has broken the command of God. Each of us has rebelled against who God is. We sit under his judgment, every single person in the world who has ever been born for all of time. And here's a reality. That truth actually makes sense to us because justice makes sense to us. Okay. Nobody likes to be on the, the, the receiving end of justice, but I think justice makes sense to just about everybody in the world. Um, you do the crime, you do the time. Good people are rewarded, bad people are punished. That makes sense, right? It computes in our heads. But it's that very sense of justice that we all get 
and how obvious it is that makes the human heart pause when it comes to these issues. Why? Because when we are honest, we know that we are the sinners, right? We are the ones who have sinned against God and therefore sit under that very same justice that we know is true. How are we going to get out of this situation? If we are sinners, how are we going to escape judgment? The world... And as we've learned in Christianity and liberalism, the liberal church tends to take two different paths out of this predicament. How are we going to deal with our sin problem and our justice problem and our judgment before God? What are we going to do about that? Well, we're going to do one of two things. The first path is to say this. Well, I'm not so bad. I'm not that bad. And then the other path that we take is to say, well, God is not that good. Or maybe a better way and a more fair way of saying it is God is not that strict. So think about the first way. The first way says, you know what your sin? It's a small thing, right? It's really just not that big a deal. It's not that bad. It's not that out of the ordinary. Everybody sins the way you sin. Um, yeah, sure, there are real sinners out there. There are Charles Mansons and Hitlers and Osama bin Laden type people, like really bad people. But man, my sin is small and paltry compared to that stuff. And really, I'm a pretty decent person, and surely God must see that. Wherever you got this assessment, though, it certainly wasn't from Jesus, okay? Jesus doesn't think that way about your sin. The scriptures don't record that about your sin. I love the way Machen, in the book we've been reading, comments, and it's one that I put on on our Instagram and Facebook a couple of, uh, a week or so back. It says, it was Jesus, Jesus who modern liberals represent as mild man, a mild-mannered exponent of an undiscriminating love. It was Jesus who spoke about the outer darkness, of about, about everlasting fire, of the sin that shall not be forgiven either in this world or in the world to come. There is nothing in Jesus' teaching about the character of God which in itself would evoke trust. On the contrary, the awful presentation can give rise in the heart of us sinners only to despair. Trust arises only when we attend to God's way of salvation, and that way is found in Jesus. Okay, So the idea is to say, if you are looking for somebody to say that your sin is not that bad, don't talk to Jesus about it. Because Jesus will be the first one to say, your sin is of the kind that for God not to do something about it out of the ordinary, there would be no way for you to be justified. There would be no way for you to be forgiven. There would be no way for you to get out of it. Your sin is every bit as bad as the scriptures would tell you. That's one way that the world will say. The other one, it will say, okay, well, fine. If I am a wretched sinner, maybe God just isn't that strict. Again, perhaps he cares about those big sins, but my lust, my laziness, my worldliness, my wastefulness, my self-interest, my self-righteousness, surely the transcendent God of the universe can't possibly care about my little speck of a lie floating on one slightly bigger speck of 
dust in this infinite universe. Do you remember the book or the or the movie, The Prayer for Owen Meany? It's about a little disabled kid and his antics and running around. Well, the little kid in the movie is an atheist, and there's a scene where they're praying before a baseball game, and he says something blasphemous and offends everybody, and the little boy says, you know what, if God's biggest problem is what's going on at this baseball game, we're all in a lot of trouble. Right. And everybody kind of laughs. Ha ha ha. Except here's the deal. God does care what's going on in that baseball game. Actually, he cares about every aspect of your life. He is watching every aspect of your life. He is not a, a, a micromanager, right? That's not what that's. We don't want to think of him being a, like a meddler or something like that. That's not the picture, but the father cares. He is not so transcendent that the lives of his people are insignificant to him. God does care despite his transcendence. He is intently concerned about your lives. Of course he is. Jesus tells us to call him the father. What father doesn't care about the lives of his children? Well, if God is just and we are sinners, it seems like we're without hope, right? We're in a big predicament. But the reality is, is our hope lies neither in our own goodness, and it certainly doesn't lie in God's laxness. It lies in God's miraculous grace to us. God's grace is a miracle. And like most miracles, it defies expectation. It defies categorization. It is the last thing that we would have seen coming, all things being equal. I've said the song lyric before that I love. It's a song that I heard at, at um, one of the... Uh, that guy that sings those songs concerts. Um, and he says, he says, it may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true. That's the gospel, right? The gospel is, man, it may be too good. You can't believe that God would be this good. It, it seems too good to be true. I mean, it seems too good to be believed, but it's not too good to be true because it is true. God in his miraculous grace has come to save us. And he has shown that miraculous grace to Mary. Greetings, O favored one. I've picked you. I've chosen you, Mary. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You have found favor in with God. It's interesting. Mary finds herself as this recipient of God's grace and blessing. Again, not because she's deserving of it. I guarantee Mary is just like every other person in the world. That may be why she says she's troubled by the greeting, right? If God shows up and says, hey, I pick you. You're the person I've chosen to you at use. And you're sort of like, I, I, you probably got the wrong guy, God, because I don't know if you know me, but I, I can't possibly be that person. But that's the point. Mary isn't chosen because she is exemplary in some way. She's chosen because God is a God of grace and he bestows his grace on whoever he wants. As lovely, though, as that idea of grace is, man, it is hard for people to accept. People reject outright the idea that God would choose you, that he would love you, that he would want you. Think about all those characters in the Bible. When Moses is chosen, you got the wrong guy, God, not me. When Gideon is chosen, hiding in the luggage. When Jeremiah is chosen, I'm just a kid. How, how can I be the one that you were going to use? That doesn't make any sense, God. When Isaiah is chosen, I'm not worthy, right? Uh, woe is me, I am ruined. 
Nobody buys grace, you could say. When God just out of nowhere says, I want to bestow my favor upon you, everybody goes, you got the wrong guy. It's hard for us to believe, and this is the reason why it's hard for us to believe, because it doesn't make any sense. The grace of God is a miraculous thing that he does. We struggle to believe that God could love us like that, that God could choose us, because we cannot believe that God is that good. Tim Keller says it perfectly. We are more sinful in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved in Christ than we ever dared to hope. Grace is a miracle. And you are called to believe that miracle, not because it makes sense, but because God has promised it and declared it. And just like Mary, we say, I'm I'm taking you at your word, God, that you, that you were telling the truth. A second miracle that Mary believes, that we are to believe too, the miracle of the virgin birth. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Fertility issues are all through the scriptures, right? Um, there are so many stories in the scriptures that deal with fertility issues. And we know, and some of you in here have experienced that, the pain and the heartache of of barrenness or, or other fertility issues. When someone has been barren and then is able to conceive after that, there is this incredible sense of God's graciousness. There is an incredible sense that, um, man, God has blessed us with this child. So sometimes it's, you know, it's easy if you've never dealt with those issues, you just sort of go, this is the natural course of things, right? People get married and they have babies and that's just what happens. But when you had a problem in that area, then it, it wakes you up to the incredible graciousness and miraculousness of God when it comes to the bearing of children. And again, it's not something that we deserve. That's part of our problem with the whole thing. We don't deserve the children that God gives us, but they are acts of his grace and blessing shown towards us, despite our worthiness. He references that kind of grace when he, that he's shown to Elizabeth, right? In bearing um, John the Baptist, but something more is going on with Mary because it's not just a miracle of a barren woman conceiving, but it is the miracle of a virgin conceiving. And that is a very different thing. Verse 31, he says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. We read it in our book in in Christianity and liberalism. One of the key issues that he zooms in on is the rejection of the doctrine of the virgin birth in our modern world. And you'll hear the world, the liberal church, um, or just the world in general say, you know what? We are far too wise now. We know how biology and science work. We are far too wise to believe in crazy things like virgin births. We are modern scientific people. But that ignores the fact that what? People have always known where how babies were made. The ancient world didn't believe in virgin births any more than the modern world believes in virgin births. Mary, when she was told, you will conceive a child, although you have never been uh, intimate with a man, Mary didn't say, oh, yeah, one of those virgin birth things. I've always wanted to try that, right? That's not what she said, because virgin conceptions don't happen. 
They didn't happen then. They don't happen now. Resurrections don't happen. They didn't happen then. They don't happen now. But they did happen that one time. They were miraculous. They were unprecedented. Nothing like it had ever happened before. No, Mary doesn't say, oh, sure, I know what you're talking about. What she should, How can this be? How can it be possible that I would be with child um, and yet I'm a virgin? And the spirit gives her an explanation of sorts, though it probably didn't quite answer her question and it wasn't, it didn't explain anything. He just says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And she will become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the key. God says, this is what's going to happen. And Mary believes. She has faith that it will be as God says it would be, even though she does not understand it. Another aspect of this issue of the virgin birth is, is that the world, and sadly, segments of the church, are faithless when it comes to the virgin conception, the virgin birth of Jesus, not by rejecting it outright, but basically by saying it's not that important. It doesn't matter. A Christian need not be bothered by this doctrine. You don't have to worry about it. You can believe it or not believe it. Just let it go. If it bothers you, it, it's, it's insignificant. But here's something cool right in the midst of this passage. The archangel Gabriel disagrees with you. Because in verse 35, he says, because the conception will be from the Holy Spirit, then in the second half of 35, therefore, the child will be born, who will be born will be called holy, the Son of God. The virgin birth is inextricably linked to Jesus' sinlessness. And if Jesus is not conceived by the Spirit, then his death cannot pay for our sins because he is not a sinless sacrifice, and therefore we are still in our sins and will spend eternity separated from God. All mankind bears not only their own guilt, but also the inherited defilement that comes from Adam. That's how we understand it, right? We bear both the guilt, that is, we are counted as associated with Adam's sin because he is our representative head, but we also inherit his sin nature. And so that means not only do we, we, are we born with the guilt already on us, but we are already from birth bent towards sin. In fact, from the moment of conception, we are bent towards sin. It's like a congenital birth defect. It is like being a crack baby to be addicted to drugs that you never took. And yet you are already addicted to something that you have never willfully received. That's how we are conceived. That's how we are born into the world, but not Jesus. Jesus is born holy because he takes after his father, not our father. He is the son of God, not the son of Adam. And because of his holiness, he can be the perfect sacrifice for us, the spotless lamb that is required to atone for the sins of the world. Un incredible things, right? Unprecedented things. God is doing something completely new that has never taken place in the history of the world. And he says it to Mary. And what does Mary, how does she respond? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We see the juxtaposition between her and Zacharias uh, in the previous passage where he's basically like, 
He's just told a common story of a barren woman becoming pregnant. And it's like, dude, it's happened a hundred times in the Bible. It's, it's, it's basically the whole story of the scriptures. And he's like, no way could that ever happen. And he's judged for that, right? And, and he's struck mute. Mary hears something that has imp- never happened before. There's no precedent for it. And yet, because God says it, she goes, then it'll be as you say, God. If you say this thing can happen, then I believe it. The reality is, is we are to make the same assessment. When it comes to the doctrine of the virgin birth, don't listen to the naysayers who say it's no big deal. You don't have to believe that. No, God said it. And you should just say, I, I believe it. Yeah, but how do you explain it? I don't have an explanation for it. God told me that's what happened, and I believe that he is true. And finally, one more miraculous thing, one that only compounds the other miraculous things that we've seen. It is the miracle of the incarnation. So verse 32 and verse 33, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom of his kingdom. There will be no end. So if you're a Jewish girl and you hear these words about the child that you're about to have, your mind is blown because you start using that language, talking about the, this child who will have the throne of his father, David, who will reign over the house of Jacob. And that would immediately signal the coming of the Messiah, right? So she is realizing I am about to be the mother of the long-awaited-for Messiah, a girl of, of no fortune, of no distinction, in a armpit of the world little town, that she would be the mother of the man who is the hope and fears of all the years. That would be a crazy thing to 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 hear. But man, it gets so much more than that because the language is so much more elevated than that. The child that will be born to her is so much more than the Jewish people have expected him to be. The angel says, this son who will be born will be the son of God, not just a descendant of David. And his kingdom will have no end. Now, you can try to explain that away and rationalize it and say, yeah, 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 his kingdom will have no end. Like his descendants will continue to reign and his dynasty will last or whatever. But that's not what it says. It says he will reign forever. His kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so what we find out is that and what Mary is hearing is God is not just sending a Messiah, but he is taking on flesh in the person of his son and becoming the Messiah. God is entering the story that he is authoring. And that's largely what the incarnation is. It is the entering of the author into his own story. So Christie is on an Agatha Christie kick right now, okay? Um, she's been like for, I don't know, three or four months, just like reading over, I mean, back-to-back Agatha Christie books. And I don't know if you know anything about Agatha Christie, but, you know, uh, murder mystery writer, um, things like that. She Her most famous character is is this little Frenchman, a little uh, uh, Belgian man uh, named Hercule Poirot, uh, right? Um, somewhere there's a Belgian person going, that was awful. You, you butchered that. Okay. Hercule Poirot. 
Um, and here's one of the fun things about the stories, okay, is he's this, you know, sort of sleuth character and he solves all these mysteries. But one of the fun things that Agatha Christie does is she has a friend of Poirot show up to help him solve mysteries every once in a while. And her name is Ariadne Oliver. And Ariadne is a mystery writer who appears in his stories and oftentimes reveals information that only someone who knew a mystery writing, a, a mystery, uh, only a mystery writer would know about the way a story comes together and the ins and outs of how to tell a mystery story. And this is what you realize as you read her stories. Ariadne Oliver is Agatha Christie, right? Agatha Christie is writing herself into her own stories and she's engaging as a character in the stories that she is writing, right? And that's a cool picture of exactly what, not exactly, that's probably too strong a word, but but it's a cool picture of what God is doing. That God is writing this story, and then he says, but it's actually, you, you feel like it's a story about you people, right? There's a story going on, and history is rolling through the years, and you're just all running with your busy lives, and you think that this story is all about you, but it's actually not about you. It's actually about me. And you know what I'm going to do? I am going to insert myself into this story. I am going to come into the story. The author is going to put himself in the story. That seems like an impossible thing. Okay. There's a funny, there's a funny reversal on that. There's a, another Agatha Christie story. And I'm not sure, I don't think she actually wrote it, but it's sort of like one of these fan fiction things where Agatha Christie Poirot comes into Agatha Christie's world. And you know what Agatha Christie thinks when that happens? She goes, I must be going crazy, right? I'm having a middle breakdown because it's impossible for a character to enter into the author's world. But the author can enter into the world that he has created at any time he wants to by writing himself into the story. And so that the author would step into the story that God would take on flesh and enter into our story. In fact, his own story seems impossible, but then what does God tell us? And nothing is impossible with God. God can do as he sees fit and whatever he thinks is appropriate. And again, what does Mary say? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If the author is going to enter into the story and be born as a person and I am going to give birth to him, that seems crazy, God. But if you say so, that's what will be true. Mary believes, she trusts, she has faith that God will do just what he said he would do. And so here's the reality. All these things tied together. These are the miracle of Christmas. Okay, this is the miracle of the gospel, and it is the miracle of faith. So while we may look at Mary and honor her for her faith and her submission, we also realize that we are called to do the exact same thing. That we are called to believe just like Mary believed. We are called to believe that the sinless Savior of the world was born to a, a virgin in Bethlehem. We are called to believe that the Son of God came to earth and entered into our story, the eternal word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And finally, we're called to believe that God is a God of grace. 
that beyond all hope and beyond all expectation, the God of the universe who we rejected still loves us and still desires to be in relationship with us, still desires to forgive us, and that he desires that so much that he is going to make sure that it is accomplished by sending his own son into the world. So the reality is this, and and the message of this is of, of the week of faith, right? Of the candle of faith is believe. It's as simple as that. I hope the case is, is that everybody in here would go, Ash, I already believe in those three things, right? But I would encourage you to double down on that belief, right? Despite what the world tells you, despite what your own heart tells you oftentimes, Believe on Jesus. Believe the gospel. That's the message of Mary's belief, and that is the call that is upon our lives. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. You know, there's many ways in which the the faith that we have, Jesus says, you know, blessed are the people who saw these things and believed, but even more blessed are those who believed them but never did see, right? There's a sense in which if an angel appeared next to me and said the very same things that I said, I would hope that you would believe them, right? I would hope that you would have all the more um, unction to say, you know, whatever he says, I'm going to believe. But the truth is, is this, that that would be a blessing. But what is a greater blessing is that if we would believe even when we have not seen, That we would believe these things, not because an angel appeared and told us, but because God said so, and we trust God's word. That's the kind of faith that I hope that we have, that the Bible is calling us to have. So let's pray and ask that God would give us that kind of faith. Father God, we are so smart and we are so smug and we are so enlightened and we have it all figured out. And we know for a fact that all of the things that you have said couldn't possibly be the way they were. And, and God, as a, as a world and in our sinful, rebellious hearts, God, we are always pushing back and saying, well, it, it can't be as God has said. Has God actually has said that? Has he, has he really intended for us to think that and believe that and live that way? God, it is, it is the sin of Eden. God, it is the first temptation of the devil to not take God at his word. And yet we see this beautiful picture of this girl who, who, as far as we can tell, was, was no more than, than 14 or 15 years old. And yet, God, when you speak and you tell her of miraculous and impossible things, she believes not because they make sense, but because you have said it. God, we ask for the same kind of faith in the things that you have said, not just on these things that we've talked about tonight, not just about your grace, not just about the virgin birth, not just about your incarnation, although centrally about all those things. But God, we ask that we would believe and that you would help us to have faith in everything that is recorded in your word. God, that 
if you have said it, that we would believe it and that that would settle it. God, give us the faith that Mary had. Give us the faith that you gave to Mary. That we would stake everything on your word. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Man, I wasn't long-winded. I was right normal-winded. Like, it was right on time. So that, that works out good. I, I can't I can't gauge it ever. Like, it doesn't matter. If I think I'm going to go long, I'm not. And then if I don't think I'll go long, I do. So um, good to see you. Glad you're here tonight. Um, hope you'll join us the rest of the, the Advent season as we head towards Christmas. Again, hope that you can join us for, for both our downtown um, Lessons and Carol service and be here on Christmas Eve night. I know that that's kind of weird. Anytime the, the, the holiday fall, you know, people got other things going on at Christmas Eve. I understand that that's uh, kind of a, a difficult time for a lot of families, but man, I, I hope you can be here Christmas Eve, um, to worship with us, um, on that Sunday. So, um, have a great week.
hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. See you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.